So we were on our bikes. We go down the street, we see the rail yard, and we always wonder what was on the other side. So we threw our bikes over the fence and we went to the rail yard and we were playing chicken with the trains and getting through. We get to the other side, more barbed wire, more chain link fence, and we were creative. We got in there and we got out of there. And we ended up, we looked down at this cement slope of dirt and rock and and we see this cement slab and and so being kids, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old, we challenged each other to see who can get to the bottom without falling or tripping over your bike or flipping. <laughs> and we get to the bottom and there's this body of water and there's fish and uh, it was summer, no swimming pools. Uh, granted, none of us knew how to swim, but we saw this big rock in the middle. So we got to the rock, I'm not sure how we dog pedal, I guess. And we started jumping off the big rock into this little, looked like a little pool, it was like a little lake. We had a great time. And it was our secret. So those of us that were in there, you know, we'd go back home and I still remember mom yelling at us, saying, Como pesten, que on estar, what are the rayos? It's like, man, you guys stink. Like, where have you been? And we never told her it was the river. Are you kidding? We did not connect that this was the big sewage pathway for the city. It just didn't dawn on us. That whole summer, we had a great time. It was our Shangri-La. If you're down there, you don't hear the freeways. If you're down there, you don't hear all the commotion in the city. You can actually think. You can actually just, like, talk. It was, it was amazing. And we had long conversations down there. It was our sanctuary. And... So because we couldn't access the local playground because of the gang issue, we didn't have a swimming pool in the area, and there was industrial zones all around us. This was like, wow, this was great. But towards the end of the summer, we saw something in there that just we didn't want to ever go back in. And it was like a carcass or something. It was just really, it was terrible. It was nasty. And we never went back. And so we realized, okay, none of us went blind. <laughs> none of us were going in the dark. And then it was growing a tail. We were okay. We didn't get contaminated. We survived it. And so that that romantic memory to me as a planner, as a advocate, as a person who was focused on community benefits, and then understanding now I had the municipal planning powers, police powers of the city. Why not change the status of this misunderstood ditch and make it what it is, a river? My name is Ed Reyes. I'm a semi-retired elected official, if you will. I'm currently uh, out of office uh, since 2013. I grew up in these neighborhoods in Northeast Los Angeles. As such, I have been very focused on housing, the environment, water issues. I currently am a commissioner for Los Angeles County Hilda Solis, who is a supervisor for the first district. I also sit on the Community Redevelopment Agency Board. My focus there is to make sure that the community's interests remains intact. So I do planning work, uh, land use consulting, uh, water, 
related projects. My particular focus is affordable housing, looking at support services for communities of need, working with elected officials to see how we could move that needle to create more access. I decided to become a city official when I found myself at an interesting crossroads. I have a master's in planning and architecture from UCLA. I served as a chief of staff uh, and a chief planning deputy for the former council member uh, of District 1 in the city of LA. And quite frankly, I felt very comfortable being in the background, uh, doing the technical work, putting together the scenarios, uh, the resources to move projects, especially in the projects that uh, reflected real impact in areas of need, especially in District 1 in the city of LA. But I came to a place where I found myself uh, looking at this challenge of, do I stay in the background or do I enter the arena, challenge the status quo? There were so many projects that were essentially on the line. We were just finishing the uh, pre-development phase for the gold line. And uh, we were about to start the construction phase. Millions of dollars were on the table. Uh, there were issues with the old rail yards that required, I think, the type of stewardship that had the community as a, as a priority. And so 10 years of my life, I could see it just melting away if we didn't maintain some consistency. So I ran. And um, next thing I know, I turned around and, and I won. And I found myself in this very significant role, if you will. So staying focused and in and maintaining integrity and transparency, I think, especially in the Latino community, uh, that was necessary. But primarily as a son of immigrants, working and, and seeing what it took for my parents to provide us basic necessities like housing and, and a roof over our heads and, and just witnessing their sacrifices. To me, I felt on a very personal level that I really wanted to make their sacrifices mean something to give it value. And to me, that experience is very special. When a person or, or, or communities leave their hometowns and their, and their place of comfort and origin to a foreign place, uh, there's a major upheaval. There's a lot of stress and apprehension. And, and to watch your parents go through this and then to see how uh, the harshness of institutional, and I'll just say it, racism and the lack of understanding of what it means not to be able to speak a language. When I left UCLA with my master's, I said, what am I going to do with this? And I could either teach or I can get involved. So when I became the chairman of planning and land use committee that oversaw all development that went through my committee for the city of Los Angeles, I thought it was a golden opportunity to raise those issues, not only from a neighborhood level or district-wide level, but from a city-wide and, and regional level. And I knew I could not give this regional discussion, this conversation, it's just due. So with a great staff, we focused on the river. And we said, let's look at the spine that allows water to, to run through this region. But let's look at it layers. Let's look at its historic significance. Let's look at it from a land use perspective, planning perspective. Let's look at it from this whole issue, what happens to our grandchildren 
once we started looking at how the droughts were beginning to start, I mean, you could just see it happening in the early 2000s, the whole water issue was beginning to become much more of a, of a significant issue. Plus, we had federal mandates that were unfunded. We had to start cleaning up all of the impacts we were creating as a metropolis in our region. And so where was the money going to come from? So when you started coupling the experience I had from 1991 through 2000, well, we started changing the use of old abandoned rail yards, and we fought hard to make them parks and to create educational facilities in them. These were anchors of a very critical place because of this is where we start Los Angeles. And... I reminisced on how, what it meant for me growing up in these neighborhoods, not having a park to go to. And I started realizing, let's create this connectivity between our land use patterns, our projection of where our communities were growing, and start developing a whole new land use pattern and create new zones so that we could actually update and that was the turn of, this is the brand new century, this is the year 2000, 2001. It's a whole new hundred years ahead of us. Why not create a new foundation that speaks to current needs and not needs that were established back in the 1940s? And actually begin to acknowledge that people do matter. Despite the fact that we're poor and we're a people of color, and we've been relegated to the industrial zones because we can't afford to live in the west side or in the places of, in the valley where it is historically verified that you had clauses that said no blacks, no Mexicans, no Chinese, and no dogs. I mean, it's, it's there. So the history of the city is based on this segregationist mindset, and the power structure evolved from that. So how do you start changing that without alienating people while promoting community, regardless of color, regardless of income. So this notion of mixed income, uh, mixed uses in the new zones became one of our, our, our goals. The work with the CASP, the Cornfield Oriole Specific Plan, is a clear demonstration of how an elected official can use its planning police powers within the city. In the south, it begins around Chinatown, and it goes north along the goal line up into Highland Park. It includes Lincoln Heights, it includes a piece of Cypress Park, a very small piece. You have a whole new light rail line that emerges. And when these, within these light rail lines, there's rail stations. And that's the first piece that gets laid out. Secondarily, you have the advancement of the Los Angeles River Master Plan, which crosses the goal line. In this interaction between promoting new modes of transportation, creating a whole new sense of a frontier or the river that we're beginning to discover and realize its potential, its power, its desirability. We had the same zoning patterns as we had back in World War II. 
It made no sense. So by establishing new boundaries for this plan area, we identified a new relationship that could evolve within the Los Angeles Municipal Code and introduced four new zoning districts, the Greenway District, the Urban Center, the Urban Innovation, and the Urban Village. And what it does, it, it creates this mixed-use environment. It changes the Floria ratio. I know I'm getting a little wonky here, but what it does, it changes how the box looks. So before you had a little two-story box on your land, like you might go eight to 10 stories, but if you're going to do that, you are obligated to bring along with it affordable housing. You're obligated to create greenways. You're obligated to look at how you interface with pedestrian corridors. So that way the livability is enhanced. You're creating new opportunities for greening for oxygen and you're establishing a whole new way of looking at this urban center. Because you do have a river now, because you do have a Lariola line, you do have a 40-acre park adjacent. I mean, you have this amazing juxtaposition between these new and upcoming uses, and yet we're stuck with warehouses and we're stuck with, with old infrastructure that went back to the heavy rail where people were, were still using their spurs to connect the heavy rail lines. And, that no longer is relevant. What we wanted to do is provide new parameters by which they could look at access so that we could have people coming and going with bikes, create relationship between a shuttle system with the bus lines, with the rail lines. But more importantly is to start redefining how we look at this space, both vertically and horizontally. What I overlooked was that these changes were going to be too dramatic for the city in of itself. Would the fire department, would building a safety department, would public works, all the departments were still running on the old model and how we move projects. So you had these different responses that really scared away investors. Because this is a multi-million dollar commitment. And you're putting yourself in the hands of these individuals making these decisions who of themselves were not in agreement of how to proceed. Because at, at the high level, at the talking heads level, everyone is saying what everyone wants to hear. But at the implementation level, mid-management level, people at the counter, it's a whole other story. It's a whole different culture. And so there has to be this, this change in how we as a city can stimulate confidence in the process. This issue of gentrification is a very emotional one. It's a very real one. There are whole neighborhoods block by block where it's just changing, where folks are being pushed out to the outskirts of the county and the region because that's where they could afford to live. But if you introduce mixed use, mixed income, now you have different points of entry, start creating a whole other housing stock, whole other layer of housing stock that could be under this umbrella of mixed use. Again, because it's different, people are afraid of it. And we have the responsibility, I, think, I believe, to push our city officials so that we could have this kind of focus on getting the departments to create this confidence and actually drill down to those places where we can get 
some consensus. An example of how a specific location is impacted by the cast and how it creates an environment for oxygenization and, and promotes the changes that, that has been suggested would be the Old City Jail. The Old City Jail has the capacity to create greening, to establish a relationship with the river, either through a walking path, a pedestrian corridor, to connect with the greenway that exists, to connect with all the great work that's happening right now at the confluence where you have Broadway and Pasadena and I-26 coming together. There's a great work happening right now within the, 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 the vision of, of what we've seen in the past, gosh, 15 years. And I really mean this through Metabolic Studio. There is a, a, a posture here that speaks to what could be despite all the naysayers. So I see there's a pulse. And so the Old City Jail, if it's done with the understanding that it has a context, that's not an island just for the, the haves, but to include amenities, include access, include the type of, of amenities that's going to allow for access for the local community, then you're going to have this great example of how you could interface, you could interconnect with the needs of the community while still allowing for market rate. One doesn't have to penalize the other. I think we, we have this strong bias of not wanting that kind of place because it lowers your rate of return, your lowers your profit margins. I really don't believe that's true. I really think you increase your profit margins if you're inclusive. What's important for investors to understand, especially the ones that are moving into this area, is granted Lincoln Heights and parts of Cypress Park, there is a high number of, of, of people that are out of rural poverty, but you also have all the tiny wallets that are circulating, and they have dollars. They spend in dollars. They don't use credit cards. They don't. There's a real volume of cash that's flowing through here. Why not treat them with respect? Why not have clean places? Why not have quality places? Places of learning, places where families can be stronger because they have access to services. Why not? And still be able to address the needs of those who would and could afford market rate. I mean, you're literally 10 minutes from downtown. I mean, why can't we think that way? Why don't we give that a chance? And, and that's the mixed-use concepts that should surface because quite frankly we have nowhere else to go we're here we're living on top of each other we need to create room and we need to be creative in, in such a way where it makes business sense but let's understand we're in a community that has decades of history